strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thursday. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you spending some time with us. I thought this story was a pretty significant story uh, about education and about the direction that our country has been going. Um, And here's the deal. I I talk about education and I want to be fair and clear. I hate the politics of education. Um, I think education is the single most important issue in America uh, overall when it comes to the interior of America, national defense, obviously. But when it comes to policies that are made and when it comes to our focus, I still think that education is the number one issue. It is the number one asset to our children and our children are our number one asset that if we are preparing children for life by creating critical thinkers that can read and then decipher what they're reading and and form a thought. They'll figure things out. A lot of our problems will solve themselves if we create critical thinkers. At one point, America was known around the world as being the country that educated their children the best. We had the best educated population. If you look at some of the some of the old um, writings about the infancy of America, uh, people were bragging around the world about how we teach our children and how, how much we value education. It is turned into an absolute political juggernaut, and there's no doubt about it that that the ed- the business of education is a multi-billion dollar business and the politics of education is ugly. That's my absolute opinion and I wish we could dis- we could differentiate that every time we talked about it because when I talk about things it's because I want education to be as good as it can be. I have nothing against teachers. Um, I have nothing against any of that. I have a problem when the focus is on the teachers and it's not on the students. When everybody is not on the same page pulling for what's best for the children, then I have a problem with it. And I don't believe that some of the teachers' organizations, it is about the children. It is about the business of education. And I think Randy Weingarten, my opinion, Randy Weingarten from the uh, uh, American Federation of Teachers is the one that leads the charge on that. She was testifying before a congressional committee about the origins of about schools and COVID and the policies that were made. And one of the accusations that's been made, and I, it has ab- absolutely been proven, is that instead of just talking to the CDC, the schools, if you remember, policies on opening schools, the president of the United States changed his policy pretty quickly about school closures, and it was the teachers' unions who pushed nationally to keep schools closed. We are hearing a lot now about the need for counselors and all of these other things because of the shutdowns. We can never lose sight of the fact that teacher organizations are the ones that close the schools. Here in Arizona, it happened with sick outs, and they weren't allowed to call them sick outs because it's against your contract in Arizona. You could be fired for uh, for walking out and faking being sick, but that's exactly what they called it behind the scenes. I have multiple videos of people that work for the teacher organizations in Arizona calling it a sick out. In the days that followed Thanksgiving in the break, I believe it was Thanksgiving, during COVID, the Scottsdale Unified School District, I believe, had three or four schools that were closed for multiple days where they didn't have online learning or in-person learning because of sick outs that were organized in multiple schools in the district. So there's no doubt that it happened. It happened all over the state of Arizona and across the country because of the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers. So the head of that organization was testifying before Congress, and she was asked – 
Did you speak with the CDC about schools? We consulted with the CDC. Yes or no. It's yes or no. Please. Um, Mr. Did Chair. You, I'll get to the. I'll, let me ask the question. Uh, please. I'm, I'm sure. respectfully asking you. Just answer, answer yes or no as I'm going through the process. So then did the Biden administration and the new CDC director, did they talk with them? What essentially happened, sir, was that we were talking to the Biden transition team before he was sworn into office. Okay. And we... Did they reach out to you? Yes, they reached out. No, the Biden transition team reached out to us. Okay. Did that include the next CDC director? um, Not... uh, Or anybody who went to work for CDC? I don't... You know something? I'm sure... I don't want to speculate... So when was the first time that they spoke with the CDC? The first time was when they asked us to do the Zoom. I think the first time. Look, I'm 65 years old. I don't remember everything anymore. I'm sorry. Um, I think the first time was, remember, the president was. I guess really the only question is, did they reach out to you or did you reach out to them? Because I know they asked for guidance from many organizations. They reached out. My my recollection is that they set up this January 29th okay. half an hour conference call. Okay. That's my recollection. So here's a, I think this is a valid question. Did the CDC, and maybe they did, did the White House and the CDC reach out to other industries for guidance in shutdowns? For any of you out there that own hair salons, do they reach out to any of your national associations about shutdowns? Anybody out there that owns a gym or a chain of gyms? There are a lot of very small gyms. There are a lot of big chains of gyms. Um, and did anybody reach out to the fitness industry and try to find out um, about what needed to be done there? And in all fairness, that was one of the big dust-ups here with the second shutdown in Arizona and the prior administration and the Ducey administration was that many people, when gyms were closed down for a second time, many of the gym owners were furious because um, they uh, they weren't consulted. Nobody even told them. They found out 15 minutes before the shutdown happened. But when you're talking about the Biden administration, did they reach out to other industries for guidance and their opinions? I've not heard of that with anyone else. So here's uh, Andy Field from ABC. Do teachers have too much influence in keeping schools closed? Democrat Jamie Raskin saying Republicans were wasting time investigating what advice teachers gave the government in reopening schools because local government, not the teachers, made that decision. I've been to some weird hearings in this Congress, uh, Mr. Chairman, but this one might be the weirdest because it's convened in order to accuse a federal agency of the crime of consulting with American citizens. Republicans insisting that teachers had outside influence in keeping schools closed. And they absolutely did. There's no doubt about that, that the very teacher organizations now that are screaming about the damage done to children during the shutdowns were the very organizations that got the schools shut down. There were people up in arms and angry that teachers weren't fired or weren't um, held accountable because they were responsible for the and, and let's be honest, there were school boards that went along with it to this to this degree that uh, there's a system in place that if a teacher 
teacher is not going to be in school. There's a system where they go in and they say, I'm sick, I need the day off. And then there is an offer made out there for substitute teachers to say, okay, I will take that class. So that's the way the system went up. Teacher doesn't feel well. This teacher is going to be there and is going to fill your role in the classroom that next day. Well, then the teacher would go back in and rescind the day off that said, okay, I'm not sick anymore. I'm okay. So that that substitute teacher was released from need for service. And then the teacher would call in sick too late to get a substitute teacher. Again, if I'm lying about this. They will call me out on it, but that's exactly what happened. I've got videos of people that work for the teachers' unions in Arizona. At Zoom calls with the AFT, there's there's flyers between the two groups. There's conversations in Zoom calls on how to handle sick outs and shutdowns and what to do and how to push back about schools reopening. I joked about this earlier in the show, but it's a true story. There was the AFT was putting together these one week of protests around the country that was coordinated with teachers' unions across the country. Now, they don't have a footprint really in Arizona. They did get a small one. But this is more about what they did um, with the advice of the AFT, and they shut schools down. The videos are there. The Zoom calls are there. Calling it a sick out is there. And now they want to say they had nothing to do with it. It's an absolute joke. That's absolutely what happened. In a moment, um, as I predicted, will people line up? Now that the president says he's running, will people get in line? We're going to talk about that and electability of both parties coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate the time. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, something that's going to be a lot of fun if you're a sports fan, and I am a huge sports fan. We're going to talk with Ron Wolfley from Arizona Sports and the Wolf and Luke Show uh, about the draft. And uh, the NFL draft has become a spectacle all itself. There's a lot of big-name players in the draft. Cardinals hold the number three pick. Will they stay at number three? Will they trade down? What do they need? But from an expert, someone that's played the game at a very high level in Ron Wolfley, he is the voice of the Arizona Cardinals, uh, and and uh, he also is kind of one of the insiders. So it should be an interesting conversation. It happens at 935. Um, big money donors rally behind Biden as he launches his reelection bid. Um, anybody who believes that because earlier and we've seen polls that say Joe Biden shouldn't run again. And there were many Democrats that believed more than half of the Democrats said he should not run again. If you believe that because they said that before that they're not going to line up and vote for him, you're wrong because both political parties do this. You get behind your candidate. This is someone on your team. They believe in his policies. They just think that he's too old for the job. It's it's, it's That's not an insult, but that's what people believe. Um, I want you to hear the president talking about the vote, but talking about his age. Here's what he said. We're going to judge whether or not I have it or don't have it. I respect him taking a hard look at it. I take a hard look at it as well. I took a hard look at it before I decided to run. And so he knows age is going to be an issue with independent voters. So we've got to talk about electability, and I think largely with independent voters, because we are going to see the exact same polarized election that we saw in 2020. The difference being this time is now both former presidents, and I'm, 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 I'm making an assumption if Trump is the nominee. We don't know that. I'm not even assured of that. Neither are you. But he is the front runner right now, and that's what people are talking about is if there is a rematch. If it turns out to be a rematch between former President Trump and President Biden, they both have a four-year record to run on as president. That's the major difference. 
But who's most electable? Um, I, I talked about this earlier. I, I've been talking about it a lot. But yesterday especially, when we discuss electability, you have to be able to take a really hard look at yourself if you're going to be a candidate for an office. Um Good candidates with a lot of money do their own opposition research, meaning they do opposition research on themselves. They hire a company to go out and say, okay, these are the negative things people are going to find about you, and these are the negative things that people are going to say about you. And you have to be brutally honest with yourself and your team of people about where your shortcomings are and how you answer for your mistakes and what you're going to do when these questions come up. It's one of the things that candidates do is opposition research on themselves because they don't want to be surprised by anything and they want a raw, accurate view. If you're blind, you then think that the, everybody's going to love me because the people that love me love me and, and, and that's just a, that's a sorry way to look at things. So when you look at electability, when you look at what works and what doesn't, um, I, I question how each of the uh, candidates – view themselves and view the voters in this country. And I'm anxious to see how it plays out. Um, former President Trump wrote a book, and uh, and I've been very candid about this. I, have, I had a very good personal relationship with the late Senator John McCain. I'll never run from it. There's people in my party that have, for whatever reason, have a disdain for John McCain. They don't like him. They didn't like him for a long time while he was alive within the party here in Arizona. And I understand that. I respect political differences. But I'm never going to run away from a friendship just because somebody else tells me they don't like them. And uh, so I think it is a huge mistake because if you go back and look at John McCain's record within Arizona, he won statewide elections over and over and over again by double digits for a long, long time. And yet the party despised him. He even won Arizona in the presidential election, even though party, you know, uh, people within the party didn't like him. So for the former president to write a book and once again go after someone who A, is revered as a war hero and B, who is um, dead, I just think is a mistake. And uh, we'll find out uh, who's right and who's wrong. And I don't want to be right. I'll be honest. I don't want to be right. Coming up in a moment, uh, we are going to be visited by Ron Wolfley. We are going to talk about the NFL draft. So stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. Joining me in studio, the voice of your Arizona Cardinals, Ron Wolfley. Ron? What's going on, Big bro? day for you. I can smile on your face, man. <laughs> here we go. So as, all right, so as a potential NFL player, what was draft day like? You know, the, what was the draft like for you? Yeah, that it was very, very stressful. It really was. Um, as a matter of fact, I remember Larry Wilson actually calling in the fourth round, and I didn't believe it was Larry Wilson calling me in the fourth round. As a matter of fact, I said to him, Larry, I, I said, I don't know who this is. You say it's Larry Wilson, but knock it off. And he said, no, Ron, really, this is Larry Wilson with the St. Louis Cardinals. We just drafted you 104 overall, and you never forget where you were yeah, drafted overall. Awesome. Never. That's awesome, 
and so that's an accomplishment walking into the NFL. Then when you're an NFL player, you watch who your team is going to draft, how your team is going to change. Do the players judge the draft like that by watching who teams take? Yeah, I honestly don't think so. If you're in the NFL and you're a player in the NFL for the most part right now, I, I think you look at every draft pick with a jaundice eye because I've seen so many guys. Uh, I can't get passionate about too many of these guys coming out. There are a couple of guys in this year's draft that I absolutely love that I think are going to be excellent players. But for the most part, I, I just I've seen too many rookies that came in. There were going to change the game of football. Yeah. There was just one problem, bro. They couldn't play. Yeah. Yeah, in the <laughs> NFL. What, yes, it happens all the time, even with first-round picks. It, it's, Beware. It's one of those things that I think, and I don't want to call out names because I don't want to you know, cr- criticize someone individually, but when you get to that level, am I right or wrong, that it, your ability no longer carries you? You have to have a work ethic that matches your ability, or you can't make it in the NFL. I say it all the time, body, soul, spirit, body, soul, spirit, the threefold nature of man brew. It takes all three of those to actually be a complete football player. At some point in time, you're going to have to be able to tap into the rage tree. You're going to be able to do that because it's an emotional game. And it is. It's one of the best things about the game of football that I still miss to this day is the fact that you could walk in between those white lines and act like an unmitigated savage. And everyone was in encouraging you to right. do that. It's a great game because of that, and you've got to have those three things if you want to be a good player. Is the, They try to assess everything in an NFL player, and the one thing they seem to not be able to assess is that desire, because everybody says they have it, Yes, but until you hit the field against the best athletes in the world, is there any mechanism to any kind of assessment of what they're going to be like? Yes, it's called the tape. Watch the tape. Bro, I believe this to my very core. If you watch a kid, if you watch a kid on every play from the snap to the whistle, on every play, and then watch him in between even those plays, but focus on a kid from the snap of the ball to the end of the play, the whistle. And watch that whole game. By the end of the game, you'll be able to tell, what is this kid like? Is this kid smart? Is he a smart kid? Is he, is he a tough kid? Is he a giving kid? Does he think of his teammates? By the end of the game, you'll be able to tell just by watching the tape. I think what we've seen is a, a rush to suddenly look at a lot of the measurables and the combine. I think the new age and the new era of football, I think there's a lot of analytics involved in that. And I think that is now coming back to the middle where you're blending the more traditional concepts of how you scout a player, how you play the game of football, the individual that you're looking for. All of it, I think, has come back to the center. Is that why you think a guy like a Tom Brady is drafted so low but ends up with a career like he had because of the intangibles you just talked about? Yes, they miss on the person all the time. It happens all the time, and it's one of the reasons why you got to trust the tape. Yes, you've got to do your due diligence. What's the kid like away from the field? You've got to do that, of course, and they do, but you got to trust what it is that you see on tape and forget about how big is he, how fast is he, how strong is he. That's great to get verification at the combine, But remember, you're looking for football players, not guys that do well in measurement. 
So so what do you do? And I want to get to specifics of the Cardinals in a minute. But what do you do with a guy like an Anthony Richardson where there's not a lot of tape on this kid? It looks this. like he's got all the talent in the world, but there's not a lot of tape on him. So what, how do you assess yeah. that kid? Well, you know what? There is tape. At Florida this last year, there is tape right there. You can look at it and say, man, that kid barely completed over 50% of his passes. There are two types of people in the world. And I mean this legitimately in the NFL. Two types of coaches in the NFL. Those that believe you can improve a quarterback's accuracy and those who don't think you can improve a quarterback's accuracy. And I think we'd all agree accuracy for a quarterback is a big deal right there. I think Anthony Richardson is definitely a freak. There's no doubt about that. And I use that term um, as, as a term of endearment for this kid. But having said that, once again, um, this is classic bust or break material going forward. So let's talk about the draft. The Cardinals have the third pick. They haven't traded it away. The suspicion is they're going to try to trade down. What do you see the Cardinals doing? Are they going to take the number three pick, or do you think they end up trading this down? This is great right here, really, is I think they're going to get the opportunity to trade down, and I think they're going to do it. I still believe that the Indianapolis Colts, they're a team that want a quarterback, and I think they have a specific quarterback that they want, not named Bryce Young, that they'll move up to number three right there. I'd love to see the Arizona Cardinals move down to number four, collect some picks, some nice picks, and still get the guy they want, Will Anderson. That's the guy that I would love to see them get. Do I believe that's going to be the scenario? I do not. Having said that, I think they are going to trade down maybe to Tennessee at number 11, somewhere in there. I think that's more likely. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. I think that's more likely. They move down to number 11. They get some big-time picks right there. Tennessee moves up, and they draft their quarterback, and suddenly maybe the Cardinals get a Peter Skaronsky, an offensive tackle from Northwestern. Mm -hmm. So what do you think then? Give me, if you said there's some players you love in this draft, give me the couple of the players you think are an absolute lock to be really good, solid okay, players. Okay, the there's a guard for Florida. His name is Osiris Torrance. Okay. <laughs> Scary is on the wall. Scary's on his way. You watch this kid play, and he is a bad, bad man on the football field. This is a guy that loves to drive people into the ground and do it with malice. I love that. That's what you should look for when you're talking about an offensive lineman. That's his mentality. I absolutely love that. You've got Darnell Washington as well, the tight end, of course, for the Georgia Bulldogs. 6'7", 270 pounds. This is one of the baddest men on the face of the planet. When you watch him on tape, you can almost hear the screaming of the lambs, metaphorically (laughs) speaking, when you see these guys playing against them. When you look at the NFL, you just talked about the size of these players. When you played in the NFL... Did you ever imagine you'd be looking at the monsters that you're looking at now as big as the players have gotten? Um, you know, uh, I, I I don't know. I, I mean, how I many guys were 6'7 when you played? I, we had 300-pounders. I played the era. We had 300-pounders. Most guys were 300-pounders. As a matter of fact, I would say that most guys were bigger when it comes to body weight when I was playing. Really? Yes, absolutely. And the reason being, it was north-south. It was bash you in the face. It was not the spread offense that we see right now, where you need athletes. You need athletes. 
You need guys who can run, guys that are in shape. They're, they're, you don't see a bunch of the 340, 350-pound yeah. guys that I played with in my era. I, every t- every fullback, by way of example, and by the way, half the teams in the league actually have a fullback on the roster. Yeah. Just for the record, anyone out there that's keeping score of that, just for the record, it it's coming back as well. But, you know, you think about it. Fullbacks were 250 pounds back when I played. I was 224 pounds playing fullback right there. Guys were big. Middle linebackers were 250 pounds. A lot of these guys, they could run. The number one thing is you had to be able to take the spot above your eyebrows and stick it on the other guy's spot right below his lips. That's what you had to be able to do. And if you were 350 and your gut was all over the place, (laughs) it was okay because we needed size. Now in today's game, they need to be able to run and move. So they're big. I get that. There are freaks. There's no doubt about that. But it's more about being an athlete now than it is being a butt-gut football player. So this is why Arizona sports has the best draft coverage and the best sports (laughs) coverage ever. I know it's a long, long day for you, Wolf. I appreciate you coming in studio with us, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you dragging in here tomorrow. (laughs) Love you, bro. I know you know what it's like. (laughs) I do, man. Thanks. That is Ron Wolfley, and uh, they have got the best coverage over on Arizona sports. Coming up in a moment, uh, we are going to talk about the hidden Bibles at the state legislature, so stick around for it. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Um, interesting thing happened at the uh, the state legislator at legislature. The uh, the legislator that. Um, decided that she was going to hide Bibles, uh, apologized yesterday, and said that it was a prank, that she saw it as a harmless prank. Uh, She said that she holds the scriptures to be dear. I'm not questioning whether it's true or not. I'm just telling you what she said. But she talked about a, a kind of a joking, a prank of a protest about the separation of church and state. And she's an ordained minister, and, and, and I like this conversation, and I'm hoping to have it civilly with people. The idea, the idea of the separation of church and state in the way that it is currently thought to be, to me, seems absurd on its face. And I don't know what this fear of faith is in, in this country. I don't. Um, what I mean by that is I'm not afraid of anybody's faith or lack of it. I have friends that are absolute atheists, friends that are diehard atheists. I have no problem with them. They have a right to not believe whatever it is they don't. I have friends of just about every faith, I think, uh, of the major, and when I say major, the most well-known. And uh, when I moved to Arizona, I didn't know much about the LDS church because there wasn't a big LDS presence in the southeastern United States that I knew of. Um, But getting to know people in the LDS church, it's so weird. If you're raised Catholic like I was, you have a predisposed idea of Protestants or the evangelical community. And then I was at a Baptist church for 10 years. I taught adult Bible study. And when I was involved in that church, that you would listen to people and their predisposed ideas of Catholicism. And I would think, that's not exactly what it's like. And so it kind of made me drop walls and beliefs of things and meeting people. I have no fear of anyone's faith or lack of it. 
And the founding fathers didn't either. But the idea that there's anywhere in our founding documents that say that the the churches should not influence or be a part of the government is a falsehood. If there, if I walked into, if I've been a guest in the House, if you don't know the whole story here, um, the House of Representatives and the Senate oh, at the state legislature have members only lounges that during session and during times they can go in there. Now you can go in as a guest, but you have to be escorted by a member. And so they had Bibles on tables in the House office building or the House uh, lounge. And what ended up happening was this legislator was hiding the Bible. She said it was a harmless prank, but a small protest of the separation of church and state. And I will tell you that I would be just as upset if there was a copy of the Quran on the table and somebody hid that. If, uh, you know, and, and what, it doesn't matter what the religion is, what the faith is, if their holy book is on the table and somebody takes it in and throws it in the trash, which didn't happen here, or puts it in the refrigerator, which did happen, or under a, a cushion, it's not to me, the pages of a book are not sacred. In other words, I'm not saying that the Bible should be held in reference and, you know, and there are some people that believe the books themselves are sacred. It's not that. It's the meaning behind it. It's taking someone's faith and it's on a table in a legislative building and you say, Say, this shouldn't be here. I'm a faith-based person. I, I just disagree with you. I think if you look at our founding and if you look, I'll give you one example because I'm running out of time in this segment. Do your homework about early America. When you go and you can uh, – this is obviously something you can check. When you go to the, uh, sta- the nation's capital – and you go into the House chamber where the speaker presides or where the president gives the State of the Union address. Around the wall, you know what a cameo is. It's a profile, right? They have cameos on the wall, uh, on, the, on the very high on the wall, all the way around the room in a semicircle of great lawgivers throughout history. In the very center, there is only one that is full face full face in the center, and it appears as if it's looking down on the speaker's podium. And that's Moses because he was the original lawgiver. So we are a theistic nation. We have always believed in a creator. And there have been religious landmarks and religious relics all over our nation's capital from its foundation. There's no doubt in any of that. It's on our money and it's in all these other places and there's nothing wrong with it. You don't have to believe in anything. But anybody out there that says the founding fathers wanted religion out of the process of politics is out of their minds. And the separation of church and state is a fantasy. That doesn't mean we should be running by a religious book or choosing one religion over another but we're a theistic nation we have a belief in a creator and it's in it's all over our foundation and i I just hope people this will put this to bed what we're going to do coming up in the 10 o'clock hour is the GDP is slowing down. So we're going to talk about the economy. We're going to talk about inflation and how it's affecting people and what is going to happen next with our economy. 